I'm Holly. And I'm Bridget. And this is Girls Next Level. (laughs) Welcome back to Girls Next Level, everybody. We have a very special episode for you today. Yeah, I'm excited for this. I feel like people are really going to love this. I think so, too. So our interview today is with one of Hef's sons, Marston Hefner. And just so you guys know where he is on the timeline, Hef got married for the first time in the 50s and had two children, Christy and David. But then he got married a second time in the late 80s to Kimberly Conrad, who was a Playmate of the Year. And they had two kids, Marston and Cooper. So Marston is the oldest son from that marriage. He was born in, I think, 1990, 91, somewhere around there. And he lived next door to the mansion when we were there. And we would see each other now and again, but we kind of tried to steer clear a little bit especially like on family. I mean, we definitely steered clear on family nights. We really wanted to give everybody their space. And sometimes we would go out and do activities together, which we talk about in the interview, like going to Disneyland or going to look at Christmas lights. But of course, we never really got to know Marston that well. So it was really nice to get to talk to him and get to hear like his point of view on things. And I just think it's a really interesting interview. It was one of those interviews where I kept thinking about it long after Me it was too. done. Me too. I still think about it. I think about things that were said. And I also, f- I think about something that's very intangible and that I hope you guys pick up in the interview is this feeling of family yeah. and like a real sense of like love between us. And it's very strange because even though we saw him a lot, he was there a lot. All of the kids were there a lot. We, like you said, we ke- we gave we kept our distance, mm-hmm. and there wasn't a lot of bonding time. But it's almost like we all shared the same experience, and we felt we felt that love, and we felt that like kind of familyness between us. I don't know. It's very hard to explain, and I hope that you guys pick it up. On- pick up on it in the interview. Yeah, absolutely. Because I felt that way too. Because even though we didn't interact a ton when we were there, we were both present at the same time in this world. And our experiences were very different, but it was still a unique time to be there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a unique time in our lives. Like obviously for him, it was his childhood and his teenage years. And for us, it was our 20s. But because of the way things were structured, like with the curfew and stuff, it almost felt like, I don't want to say a second childhood because like I've said before, like we were expected to perform like women in the bedroom, you know, so there were parts of it that were very adult. But it was such a formative time for me. And also such an arrested development time for me that, I mean, I don't know. It was just like such a unique time and we were both there. And it's so interesting to hear his perspective from, Mm -hmm. you know, from being his son to living next door to, I don't want to give things away, but you know, like just things that he got to do as a kid and just like, it's such a unique perspective on things. For sure. And I just really appreciate being able to talk to him because like when I wrote my book, obviously I had a lot of things to say about his dad. And one of the unfortunate consequences when you come out and say things like that is it has the potential to like hurt other people's feelings who aren't that person. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's always uncomfortable. And I just want to say I really appreciate his open mindedness. And I was really impressed with his intelligence and just his willingness to talk about the nuances of things. I found that really impressive. Mm -hmm. And it was nice to like, really, I feel like I really got a chance to get to know him in this interview. Me too. Like somebody I knew for seven years, but at this interview, I feel like we actually got a chance to be super honest Mm -hmm. and open about so many things. Like there, I feel like everybody was super honest and open and there were no hurt feelings. Like we just very much talked about things honestly. Yeah, I think so, too. And I have to warn you guys before we get into it, this interview like starts out of nowhere because when we jumped on the Zoom, we just started talking right away. And Bridget, you were like, do you guys mind if I start recording? This is a really great conversation. Yeah, I wanted to say that because Marston was saying some really sweet things and Holly Mm -hmm. was saying some really sweet things back. And I was just like, wait, we're not even recording yet. You guys, this is so good. (laughs) Like people need to hear this. And I hit record and all of a sudden everybody was silent and just like get prepping and getting re- doing know. the things you have to do and I was like wait 
(laughs) What happened? So this interview, just we're going to cut to it and it's going to start out of nowhere. And also, if you guys are watching the video on our YouTube or our Patreon, I have to warn you, this was the first Zoom I've ever hosted. So when I set up my own Zoom account as a host, I saw, oh, you can do like a filter. So I thought, oh, that's cool. I'm going to filter my face. So I put like what I thought was a subtle filter on, like maybe like 40% or something. No, I look like the fucking alien thing from Cocoon. Do you know what I'm talking about? That glow thing yes but I didn't know when I w- we were recording I mean I guess maybe because it's like this big yeah I didn't notice when we were recording either but I watched it back and I'm like oh no does that filter work on everyone or is it just on you no it's just on me because you set it up from your end oh shit I gotta find that filter <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like saying something corny like please give a warm welcome to Marston Hefner like he's gonna well, walk can out I say and- one more yeah, thing yeah, yeah. first I feel like people are going to be legitimately shocked or surprised at some of the things he has to say because I was. Oh, me too. Yeah, some of it was not what I expected. I'm so excited for you guys to hear this interview. All right. So here we go. I I got up to so many shenanigans that drove Bridget crazy, I think, while we were there. But uh, (laughs) from a a kid's perspective, we were having an absolute blast. And (laughs) and yeah, I I, I am a big fan. I um, I read both of your books, Holly. And it felt it felt really good. I mean, I think that we first of all, like it's just kind of annoying that I have to say this, but it's like, okay, this is your subjective opinion Mm -hmm. and I don't agree with everything you said. Okay, now let's move on from that. Obviously, I'm not you. Like when you wrote that book, it felt like we we were there and we like were watching the documentaries that were coming out of them on the on the mansion and my dad. Mm -hmm. And it was all like the same story. It was yeah. all said in the same way, which was really bizarre because it's like if you get a different artist to say what the life of Michael Jordan was, it's going to be a different story because they're going to have a different interpretation. Mm-hmm. So I really liked that your book was like a breath of fresh air because it was a behind the scenes kind of like this is my experience, even if it's not Marston's experience, it's all his experience and why people got so upset about that was frankly really bizarre. I think it's so incredible that you can see that people can have different experiences because so yeah. many people can't see that. They can't see that that somebody else could have been at the mansion at the same time and had a totally different experience. Yeah, I'm really impressed by that too because there's so many people who are like so much older than us even and they just don't understand at all how people can see like different sides of a person or just have a different experience because of like the position they were in yeah exactly you know i was i was a certain age i was like 19 years old and still trying to figure out oh that's my dog banging at the door still trying to figure out who i was and um you know right place right time somebody you know tries to seduce me i'll say no i'll say yes when Maybe I don't want to. And so I, I understood um, just like how fragile you can be, even if you are over the age of consent. And I'm not saying, again, that my father like took advantage of you because that's not my perspective. But I just like on an emotional level, I could like sympathize with your position. Yeah. Thank you for being open minded. That means a lot. Should we dive in? I think so. And we want to start like back at the beginning, like go about what childhood was like for you. Yeah, you have so much going on. You're the most talked about creator on OnlyFans right now. You're a new dad. You're an author. But we love to do stuff. And we'll get into all that. But we love to do stuff chronologically. So we want to start at the very beginning. And before okay. we get into the, some of the stuff about your childhood that might not be so relatable, we want to know, like, who was Marston as a kid? What kind of things were you into? What were your hobbies? Like, what were your hopes and dreams? I wanted to be... Uh, now it's interesting because I'm trying to think of ways to think to say this in a way that I haven't already said it because um you know my dad tended to say everything like the same way remember how he would do that yeah. yes <laughs> yeah. he was such a peculiar person that way uh you think back then that was just like the more old school way to do it and the way to kind of like protect yourself from the press was don't like he always said don't answer the question they ask you answer the question you wish they would have asked you wow I think it's that, but then I also think it's something entirely else because his whole life was the same. Yeah. Like that wild, man. Mm -hmm. Who who else in our lives do we know who had like 
same, 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 same Monday, same Tuesday, same food <laughs> for dinner, same food. I don't even think he had. It was just, he was so routine. True. Yeah. I, I think it brought him pleasure to just do the same thing over and over again. And I don't know why it is, but it makes me wonder different possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. Including his canned answers for everything. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that the fact that he controlled the narrative so much made it so like it, it, it wasn't a real perspective on what it was. I mean, because if you're giving the same answer and controlling what the documentary is going to be like, then it's it's only one perspective, which is why I respect what you guys are doing. But um, as a kid, I wanted to be a daredevil. I think I, 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 I actually wanted to be the CEO of Playboy. You know, mm-hmm. I did. I want. I, I think I was, I was, I had dreams of being a rich uh, CEO. Yeah. <laughs> did that include still being at the mansion? That's a good question. I think so. Sure. I love the mansion. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of things were you into? Like books and TV shows and toys and stuff like that? I loved Pokemon. I loved Beanie Babies. I loved... um, Man, because you guys are like a little bit older than me, right? So my nostalgia is not your nostalgia. Yeah. But but I like all nostalgia. Um, So... Pokemon was huge. Beanie Babes were huge. And uh, Toonami and uh, anime, you know, watching Nick at Night. I think you guys like, did you guys like Nick at Night? I'm a little too old for Nick at Night. Like my little brother was into that. He was about your age. Okay. I feel like they had Nick at Night in like the early 90s too, but maybe it just wasn't popular. Yeah. (laughs) So I'd like watch Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and... um, No, when Fresh Prince of Bel-Air filmed. You were like a baby, right? I was a baby for sure. Yeah. yeah. I remember that picture of your dad and Will Smith, like behind the game house. It was like on the hallway wall. So cool. Like those <laughs> photos, man. Like Yeah. That was know, a the, oh, the photos that would just line up and it's just like my dad's memories slash trophies and what a life. Yeah. yeah. For those that are listening and might not know, there was a yeah. hallway that started at my bedroom door and went all the way back to the offices. And it was just lined with like, what was it? What would you say? Five by seven or something photos mm-hmm. of Hef with like every celebrity or every interesting moment in his life. The hallway was just lined with hundreds of pictures. Yeah. Special moments. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was in there. Magic Johnson, Paris Hilton, Charlie Sheen. Throughout the ages, different memories. This episode of Girls Next Level is brought to you by Wild Grain. Wild Grain is the first ever Bake from Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. The team at Wild Grain just sent me a new box. So much delicious stuff is inside it. I'm going to tell you about it, but I want to know what you got in yours because I know you got one too. Oh yeah, I got like sourdough bread and all kinds of pastas. It looks amazing. They are so good. I've already eaten mine already because <laughs> I took the pastas, made it for my kids. Everybody loved it. They also sent me apple pie bites, which which are so good. Yum. But my favorite things were the loaves of sourdough bread. I got a couple different ones. Once had like sesame seeds on it, but it's like the best bread I've ever eaten. And it's great because you put it in your oven and you don't have to do any of the work actually making the dough. Right. But you still get the satisfaction of like putting it in the oven and your whole house smells like bread, Yum. which is the most amazing scent ever. And it's just, you have it hot out of the oven. You can put butter right on it. It is so good. I can't wait to try mine. I was thinking too, it's like nice having it in the freezer with all these holidays coming mm-hmm. up and everything. Just like pull out a loaf of bread or like the pasta for a quick dinner. Like I'm looking forward to it. A hundred percent. And you can now fully customize your wild grain box so you can get any combination of breads, pastas, and pastries you like. If you want a box of all bread, all pasta, or all pastries, you can have it. Plus, for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash next level to start your subscription. That's right. You heard us. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash next level. That's wildgrain.com slash next level. Or you can use promo code next level at checkout. 
Shel Silverstein, who was my one of my favorite people I got to meet there. As a kid, we were talking about, uh, we'd call him Uncle Shell. So Uncle Shell would come every morning. He'd wake up, he'd draw his his cartoons, uh, work on his art. I'd get to hang out with him and pretend to draw with him. And That's so cool to get to see that process. Right. Yeah. This stuff is so iconic. How old were you when you discovered who your dad was or realized that he had like a really unique job? Probably immediately because oh, wow. maybe kindergarten or first grade when I don't really know, to be honest. I don't know the answer to that question. I think maybe kindergarten, I understood my dad was really cool because like we had a a big house and people wanted to come to the house. It's bizarre. Maybe it's bizarre that I don't know the answer to that question because we were around other really successful fathers who like, we would go to mansions and then they'd come to our mansion. It was like that kind of community. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you remember, this is probably one that goes so far way back. You don't remember either, but do you remember the first time you saw the magazine or realized that that was something special? Yeah. Um, the magazine was all over the place. Yeah. Forever, right? Uh-huh. That didn't change because I was there, which I'm grateful for. And so like when I was a kid, and so we would hold on to the magazines. I'd cut out Pamela Anderson photos and I just loved looking at it. It turned me on. I, I don't know. It's great. <laughs> And they were all over the mansion, just so you guys know, for the listeners, like they were out by the grotto, they were in the bathhouse, they were in the game house, they were in every room of the mansion. Playboy magazines were laying around like the last three months. Yeah. One of the fun things that I had back in the day was trying to find the bunny, the secret bunny. Yes. I think that was probably my favorite part of it. Yeah, that's fun. I love doing that too every month. So growing up in the mansion, of course, there's this huge staff. There's like chefs, butlers, video department. What was it like growing up with staff? Like, were they like family or were there ever any moments where you're like, why are you here? Or, oh my God, can they get rid of this person? They're an asshole. Oh my God. I'm so glad you asked me that. That's such like a, (laughs) you. only you guys would ask me that question. (laughs) Fuck, man. The staff were really mean to me. No, I thought you were the opposite. Me too. No, they were really fucked up to me. Really, like it was, it was like, um, because it was kind of like I was the son who was like living off of my father's success. Is my guess is of what it was like jealousy. Yeah, like jealousy, or just like they thought I was entitled. They felt like I, I didn't really belong. But like very many times when I was like a college student and I was living at my dad's house, I, I would say, you know, may I have a flame and yell, which already sounds harsh as heck <laughs> out of a mouth. But I said, you know, could I have a flame and yell, please? And thank you so much. Or thank you. I always because I was taught as a kid to always say thank you, please. And just hang up. No response. Or they'd come into my room with like kind of angry grimace on and give me my food. It it never felt at that age i did not feel welcome and my girlfriend at the time said that when i left they like took shots of of whiskey in celebration and like yeah it's really and and i'm not like a difficult person is the thing like you guys know that never felt good and it, it just felt like they thought i was something that i wasn't and that wasn't for all of the staff by the way then funny enough when i was a kid when i was like eight years old or even younger Throughout, throughout my childhood, the staff were always really nice to me. Mm-hmm. It was really when I became an adult that they, they didn't like that. But uh, yeah, no. So it's it was two different worlds, you know, two different experiences. When you were younger, did you think that it was they felt like um, an extended family? I still feel that way about them. Like, by the way, like mm-hmm. not all of them, but yeah. Ryan Olay um, and some of the staff, you know, I'm I'm very close with them. Hey, honey. Hi. Hi. Anna. Thank you for the Starbucks, honey. (laughs) Wait, where's mine? (laughs) Yeah, it's still like an extended family for me. You know, we we went to organic creation organic. And and that's why it's hard for me to like the the tabloids and the media pick one part of what I'm going to say on this interview. I know, I hate that. It's the worst. It's like, okay, I am family with them and I am close with them. Some of them were awful to me and even the ones that i love now were awful to me then it's that's family too yeah that's why i'm kind of glad to like talk to you guys because we can have these nuanced discussions about like what really our experience was and i've been looking forward to this for a long time oh good for sure 
Can I ask you real quick, what was your guys' experience with um, the staff? Um, I felt like I got along with the staff pretty well, although there was this one guy who was a bartender and he wrote that he left and then he wrote this whole like low key book that he never published or anything, but he sent it to Joyce who gave it to your dad and I read it too. And this guy like hated me and said I was like the biggest stuck up bitch and I obviously have an agenda, but I was like, holy shit. So I- they were thinking, but I always felt like the staff was fine. Bridget, it was that um, bartender who used to bring the steel drum on Saturday. Oh. Yeah. And you were friends with him. And I remember saying to half, <laughs> I was like, what the hell is this? And he goes, but if he would have got to know you, he would have liked you. Like he really liked Bridget because he's writing like he's friends with you and stuff. But he like hated me, but I had no clue. So like, I felt like everything was okay with staff, but I, I don't know what they're saying behind my back. It could have been anything. <laughs> I had an idea of what they were saying behind your back. Really? Yeah. Maybe I don't want to know, though. <laughs> well, all I'll say is that, again, I think that they were seeing, like, you were always really nice. Oh, thank you. You were fucking nice. That's all it, that's all it, that matters when you were, when you were over there. That's who you are and who you show yourself to be in front of people. For me, you were always nice to me. So, and, and to other people, I'm sure. I know, I know who. For, for me, I had a great relationship with the staff, or so I thought. <laughs> now I'm not so sure. But um, and I'm still friends. I'm still friends with a lot of them today. And I thought of them as family. And I was really happy to have them at the mansion because I mean, you know, Holly's the main relationship with Hef, and I'm just sort of in my room on my own. I'm very social and I I like to have other people around. So it was nice to be able to go downstairs, even though we were technically not supposed to. It was nice to go downstairs and to talk to people that whether it was staff or other guests or girls that were staying at the mansion. I, I just really liked that there was other people around. So I don't know what I would have done without them. So I feel um I feel very loving towards the staff. I felt that then I feel it now, but you maybe know a different perspective. <laughs> oh. No, I think that's that's fair. But um, what do we mean you weren't allowed to go downstairs? Well, the girlfriends had a no fraternization rule. So like we weren't supposed to be talking to the staff. I did it, but we weren't supposed to. So if Hef were to come down, we all have to act like I was just grabbing a soda or something and going back upstairs. That's abuse. That's emotional abuse. Yeah. You, have a boy- you have a boyfriend who's telling you you can't talk to people because you're going to cheat on him. Like that's that's not good in right. any situation, and we kind of act like he's Hugh Hefner. So, but if that was any other situation, that would be abuse, I think. Yeah, and I definitely looked at it as normal and understandable at the time because I had heard that other girls had cheated on him with staff with Butler, so I totally understood where it was coming from. But at the same time, I knew that I wasn't doing that. I just wanted companionship so um but we were very careful about it but i did definitely hang out down there and make friendships and yeah yeah i know it did it's like it was like a rule that nobody really followed i'm sure yeah i'm glad that you got to like make friends with all the staff and you know maybe yeah. it's one of those rules that you know it sounds strange but then you you still get to bond and yeah So most of you have probably heard me sing the praises of pros and their truly custom made-to-order hair care. I just posted my latest delivery on Instagram the other day. I love the packaging, everything about it. Switching to a custom routine from pros was one of the best things I've done for my hair. And the results I'm seeing just keep getting better. I have noticed so much growth in my hair. It's incredible. And I've noticed improvements in the texture. It's one-of-a-kind, made-to-order formulas. It's shinier, smoother, softer, stronger. I love the packaging because it has my name on it, first of all, yeah. on every bottle I order. And it just has this like really cute apothecary look that I love. And everything smells so good. Even the conditioner, it's tinted purple. Mine is for like color maintenance. And it's just such a pretty color. And I just love it. Pros knows there is more to you than just your hair type. Pros has given over 1 million consultations with their in-depth hair quiz, which is how I got started. It's an easy quiz. You go on their site. It's actually kind of fun. I mean, maybe I just like taking quizzes, <laughs> but it's actually kind of fun. But like, you answer all these questions about like the texture of your hair and what you're having problems with and what you want to see and, and your eating habits and exercise and all that kind of stuff. And where you live, like, because we got to factor in that LA smog damage. Yes, totally. <laughs> 
By analyzing over 85 personal factors, Pros handpicks clean, sustainable sourced ingredients that get you closer to your hair goals with every wash. My favorite feature is Pros's review and refine tool, which lets me tweak my formulas for any reason in case I change up my address, my hair color, or even my diet. I might do a second quiz and get like a second set for Vegas in case that makes a difference. Oh yeah, you should try that. <laughs> if you're not 100% positive Pros is the best hair care you've had, they will take the products back, no questions asked. Custom made-to-order hair care from Pros has your name all over it. Take your free in-depth hair consultation and get 15% off your first order today. Go to pros.com slash next level. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash next level for your free in-depth hair consultation and 15% off. So growing up, did you get to do a lot of the quote-unquote normal family things like family vacations or did you like have chores and allowance or those kind of things? I didn't have chores. I had an allowance. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of get that because sometimes I want to like, I try and get my kids to like pick up after themselves or do things, but sometimes it's just fucking easier to do it myself because I don't do a good job. So I kind of get that. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Family vacations. Like did your dad ever travel back then or did you just go with your mom? I just went with my mom, but Oh, I didn't really appreciate how fortunate I am and what a wonderful life my father gave me until I started really caring about like having a beautiful home mm-hmm. or going on a beautiful vacation. Before then, I was just really like uh, writing, 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 and that's all I care about. And I could be poor, but now, now I, I live in a beautiful home and and I enjoy going. So my father has funded like my whole lifestyle. And um, the beautiful vacations to Maui when I was younger. And I'm really grateful um, that my life and, and the incredible life that I have is uh, is possible because he like decided to give, give me an inheritance. You know, he could have given it all to whoever. Yeah, he for some, sure. He gave some to me. So, yeah, I've gone on a lot of really great vacations with my family. Um, but, he, you know him, he was like a hermit, like mm-hmm. or how to say it in a nicer way. He didn't like to leave his home yeah he hated it like like i asked him to go to dinner or <laughs> you guys will know how ridiculous this would be to to say to him but like you know could you go out to dinner with me or could you go to a movie with me and it was like what are you talking about? yeah <laughs> you thought of special way to do it <laughs> he thought of it as work like when he would take you ladies to the the ball game or or whatever that wasn't like exciting for him i don't think no i think it was more like oh we might get like a cool pr photo and then let's hurry up and get back home <laughs> yeah yeah same with the dinners at the fancy restaurants and stuff like we wanted to do that once a week go to a nice restaurant and for him it was like maybe we'll get a picture that we're out at this restaurant <laughs> cuz he brought his lamb chops to the restaurants i don't care if we were having sushi he brought his lamb chops <laughs> that's such a peculiar thing cuz he liked a certain food and that was the only food that he liked and it was it had to be not lamb chops it had to be the mansion's lamb chops recipe like like what is that is that oc is that like obsessive compulsive is it uh autism is it it's something that is different than most people uh operate where it's the same he needed it and and get angry (laughs) if he didn't if it wasn't there like if what he expected wasn't there. If the lamb chops weren't there, he would get upset. That that part of my father really makes me wonder. It's like, what is it that he needed that routine? Yeah. Have you guys thought about that? A little bit. Like I thought about like maybe being on the spectrum or having OCD or even just, you know, the way at a young age, his life exploded. Maybe there's just certain things you hang on to that like, wow, I have all this going on around me. Maybe I just need these touchstone things i don't know it could be any of it or combo i i feel like it was a way for him to stay in control too yeah and that was very important to him but i don't know why did he need control that bad right because even with the ladies you know the curfews the it's he needed that to feel and i don't know why yeah i don't know why either because he's when you look at him and what he had accomplished he's the last person you would ever think would have like any kind of insecurity or feel the need to like control something down to a level so it's odd to me i don't know 
But I also think that the lifestyle that he was living and all the people in his life and all the parties and all the events could lead to a very out of control lifestyle if you didn't take control and have a routine. I don't know. I'm not trying to defend him. I'm just trying to talk about it. It could be, could be the root of it. You never know. Yeah. There were a lot of people who didn't have his best interests at heart that were surrounding the mansion that he was around. So maybe just doing these little things made him feel like, okay, I'm safe. My life is good. I have what I need. Yeah. Cause you never really know, you know, what people are up to. It's like, yeah, your control. And I definitely agree that not everybody was up there had his best interest at heart. Um, When you were, do you have like a favorite childhood memory from the mansion? Probably playing chess with my dad. There was a moment in our lives where he took like a really special focus on me. And he was just like really loving, really supportive. And we would play uh, really, really, really. He would play chess with me every Tuesday for family night. And uh, at some point I beat him. I think I beat him <laughs> legitimately. And he was so happy. And like Aww. the joy that he had instead of being like, shouldn't have. You know, he was just really proud of me. And uh, so I think that moment in time was my favorite at the mansion. That's awesome. He loved to play games. Loved it. We had game night where we did Monopoly or Uno, and he took it very serious. Like every rule had to be followed to the T. Like there was no messing around in Clue. Yeah. Oh my God, I love Clue. <laughs> Me too. Bro, bro, what is his deal with games? And he he didn't care to like win. Like he wasn't like a competitive person, but he loved just playing them. Mm-hmm. You don't you think? Like I feel like he yes. just loved. And he knew how to win everything. And he wasn't shy about sharing his tips either. Like, I feel like I can't be fucked with on games now because I learned all the tips from him. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, that's something that I think is really positive that I took away where it's like, have a game night with with your kids. Yeah. You know, like, that's just, it it was a lot of bonding. It was, those moments are just simple and, and fun and, um, Stuff like that, I think I took away from him where where just the simple pleasures in life, the Hollywood, you know, 1920s black and white films and just a simpler time um, that that he loved. I I like, you know, yeah, that simple joy that he brought to like our lives. There was a lot of his personality. And I think this is what attracted me to him. That was very um, playful and kid like. I, we talked about this a little bit already, but other kids at school, when I know you said that some of them wanted to come to your house as early as kindergarten, but when did you really notice that everybody knew who your dad was and where you lived? Did it take the other kids at school a minute to figure it out? Like it was, was it something that they knew right away or was it more of like a teenage thing? More of a teenage thing, I think. Yeah. I think, I think maybe elementary school kids don't really care about who Hugh Hefner is. And then once you hit puberty, then you care about going to the Playboy Mansion and you care about that stuff more. Mm-hmm. So it didn't feel like a big deal in elementary school. I'd say when I went off to camp and people were coming up to me saying, I heard Hugh Hefner's son is here. Do you know where he is? And I'd go, no, I don't. I don't know where he is. <laughs> um, you know, like hearing the rumors of Hugh Hefner's son is going to camp at, at this camp. That's kind of when. So maybe when I was 11 years old. I remember Christy had a really funny story. Did she ever tell you that about how when she was at camp and somebody said to her, oh, I heard Hugh Hefner's daughter's going here. And she said, well, who do you think it is? And he said, I think it's Elizabeth. She has big boobs. (laughs) I don't know what the name of the girl was, but it was like. I got one that said, I heard Hugh Hefner's kid goes here and I go, oh, yeah. Like, well, tell us more. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he's really stuck up. He's just an asshole. You know, he talks shit. Um, you know, people just say he's really, he just thinks he's better than everybody else. And I go, wow, like that guy, that guy sounds like a real asshole. <laughs> and um, and it's just like these rumors that get spread without anybody knowing who you are. <laughs> you, you guys know what that's like. And, um, and so then we say, you know, oh, you know, like I, that's me. 
goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. I'm going to tell everybody that you're great. It's like, you're not getting the point. Don't tell anybody anything about me. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Did you have security go with you everywhere when you were a kid? Yeah. You you knew that. That was a leading question. No, I do. But what I wanted to get to was, was there ever an age you got to, like, say you're 13 and you're like, fuck, I want to go do my own thing. Like, did you ever have an opt out? Of course. How old were you and how did that convo go down? Did you ever live at the mansion? Well, now I want to flip it because I want some control over this conversation. Do it. <laughs> did you ever be like, I want to get the fuck out of here and it's 9 p.m. and I have a curfew? Yeah, there were lots of times I wanted to go do like girl things and I didn't even, I was afraid to ask half the time. So that didn't go very far. But I just wonder what that's like for a kid and you have security and you're like, I want to go off with my friends. Like, did you ever feel like you could ask your parents for that? Yeah, or Not my dad. My dad wasn't really doing the security thing. It was more my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was trying to keep me safe, I think, in her Absolutely. own way. I think that was her rationale. It sucked, but, you know, I understand. The same way in her place, though, 100%. Yeah. I was home late from that curfew one time and I never did it again. (laughs) I got in big trouble. Bridget, did you know that we're eating and drinking roughly a credit card's worth of plastic a week? Ew, no. I hope it's going to my boobs at least, (laughs) but probably not. The products that we're using every day are ultimately contaminating our water supply, generating hundreds of microplastics that we end up ingesting. So Blue Land has set out to do something about it. Eliminate the need for single-use plastic in the products we reach for the most. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet. Their idea is simple. They offer endlessly refillable cleaning products with a beautiful, cohesive design that looks great on your counter. Just fill your bottles with water, drop in the tablets, and wait for them to dissolve. You will never, ever have to grab bulky cleaning supplies on your grocery run. Refills start at just $2.25, and you can even set up a subscription to buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, all Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients you can feel good about. I love Blue Land because I have a lot of plastic guilt. Like I'm always drinking bottled waters or getting a coffee on the go. So I'm always looking for ways I can stop that and cut down on all my plastic consumption and just the convenience of being able to have it as a subscription and get it delivered automatically. Like, I love that. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners. Right now, get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash next level. You won't want to miss this. Blueland.com slash next level for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash next level to get 15% off. Did you ever wonder, okay, so like Holly, there was a moment where you were thinking, and this will go for Bridget, but in a different, just changed a little bit. That would be your whole life, right? Mm-hmm. You were interested in, you, while you were there, you expressed interest in marrying him. Were you ever thinking like, I could do this for the rest of my life and be happy or? A hundred percent I was, but I think in the back of my mind, I did think I would like earn a little bit of trust. And I think that was one of the most frustrating things to me is I was there and I was faithful and I was following the rules all to a T for years, but I kind of felt like I was still treated like that random playmate he dated a year before me who fucked a butler. You know what I mean? So I, I definitely felt like I could make this my whole life, but I think I did think, oh, as time goes by though, I'll earn trust. And if I wanted did do like a girls night thing, like that would be okay, but it just never really happened. One thing that I'd like you to talk about that stuck with me so much, like I read your book, your first book, and I, this, this has stuck with me the whole time. You said, thought that if you were his girlfriend and if you got closer to him, if you became, you know, his wife or his number one or his favorite that he would show something of himself that was different than he showed other people. And you said he never revealed that hidden person, the the one that we knew was there, but he never, he kind of showed everybody the same mm-hmm. person, at least for me. And so I had always wondered as his son, like, who is he when he's laying on the bed, just relaxing? 
Like, who is he, like, behind closed doors? Because it felt to me like I never really got to know him on a really, really level. And you said, like, that just didn't exist. Yeah, I mean, I think I did see kind of like a relaxed, playful side sometimes, but it didn't last very long. And I think what I was getting at when I wanted to see something different was a trust. Like, I wanted to see that person when he finally was like, okay, you know, we're good. Like, we can... Yeah, kind of chill a little bit and not feel that there was like suspicion underneath everything. It's hard for me to really articulate it, but I think that's what I had hoped to see. And Bridget, did you ever feel like the curfew or like, how did you feel about that? Because I was pretty okay with it for the most part. Um, But once the show started getting popular and we started getting invited to things or clubs were opening their arms just to us girls without Hef. There was a part of me that really wanted to experience some of that stuff. And I was lucky enough to where at some point he finally was able to say, okay, you and Kendra can go with like the playmates that are here, but you have to have security with you. So it was definitely still under very high security, but we were finally allowed to like break through the curfew and go out. But this is years later. And I also knew that I wasn't going to be there forever. I wanted to be a part of the life forever and friends and still come up. But I knew that I wasn't going to be living there forever. I have a question. Mm -hmm. How do you guys balance? On the one hand, people are saying or people say that it was all my dad. The girls next door is all my dad. And I think you said it really well, Holly, in your book where it's like, well, you proved you guys proved that it was actually you guys were essential to it. And at the same time, my father uh, put you guys in a position where financially like you guys are are killing it. You have this career that that is possible because you guys were up at the mansion. How do you balance those two truths? Well, I'm a big proponent of like two things can be true at the same time. And I wish more people just in general understood that like Girls Next Door was an amazing opportunity. And I mean, I think when I complain about things, it's almost more I'm complaining about people's lack of understanding about things or thinking that I can't talk about my situation as it was because I did benefit from it in some way, because my other option is completely lying because I am going to be asked about it for the rest of my life. So my other option is to lie and talk about that a relationship that I don't feel like was healthier that I wouldn't recommend to anyone else was like so great. So it is a weird thing to balance. And I don't think it is something that ever completely resolves itself and is one thing. What you just said, I don't understand why people would get upset about that. Yeah, it oh, really they do. People. And I'm not sure why. I mean, I have different theories, but I don't know. And I've, as far as I'm concerned, like the yes, we wouldn't have been on the show if we weren't living with Hef. But I feel like the bulk of the show was about us. And we made that show popular. And we did put seven years of our life into that relationship. And we put four years or however long it was into that show. And we worked hard for all of that. So it's equally ours too. You can say we wouldn't have had it without Hef, but we helped build it and we helped create it. And it wouldn't have been what it was if it wasn't for us. So when people say, oh, you guys are still making money off of all of that, or you're still, you know, living your life through all of that. I worked hard for that for seven years. I put seven years of my life into that. Why shouldn't I be allowed to talk about it? Why shouldn't I be allowed to make money off of it? Why shouldn't Holly and I still be able to do a podcast and talk about it? Yes. You guys are the cultural icons, not my dad is a cultural icon, but you guys are too. You know, that that was a huge part of that time period, that show. I totally agree. Yeah. How old were you when your parents split? Third grade. Third grade. grade, So that would be second grade. I was like nine or 10. And then you and um, your mom and your brother moved into a house next door. For those who don't know, it was a house that was originally on the same parcel of property as the mansion. So it kind of matched. It was the same style. Did you have a house you preferred? Like, or was it apples and oranges? Like, oh my God, the mansion's so fun. But like my house is more my sanctuary. How did that feel? You know, it felt like when is dad and mom going to get back together? Uh, you know, because that that was what the narrative was, was like, this is temporary. And so I didn't like temporary. I wanted to go back home. Mm -hmm. And then once it became understood that my dad moving on, I think my home, my mom's home became my home and my dad's home became like a fun place to be. And so all of the imaginary imagination games and all the like, yeah. So my mom's home became my home. And I think, yeah. I don't want to stir shit, but it, it was very hurtful, that transition, especially when we had bedroom three 
And bedroom three, I think, became Bridget's room. Eventually, yeah. She wasn't the one who asked for it, though. It was another person was like, I I want this room all to myself. And that was kind of awkward. I felt I don't blame I don't blame anybody. I just think the fact that like they were okay with removing our room from like our home, like that Mm -hmm. was our home. That was really hurtful. So that transition messed with me. But quickly after the my mom's home became my 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 real home is what I And you are free to come back and forth at any time because there was a gate that connected the property. Were there ever any rules like, oh, you can't go at this time or during this party? And did you ever sneak into a party as a kid? Because I totally would have. (laughs) Oh, of course. Of course I snuck in. (laughs) Did you ever see anything you weren't supposed to see or like stumble into a room and be like, oh? Yeah, I can't. I can't because one person I really love and he was in a bad place. But uh, another one, we we were we were in the pool. I think we were supposed to. We could have been swimming in the pool. It was fine. But we go through the waterfall, and there's some guy getting a, the biggest of BJ's, um, and we're like, "Oh my god!" And we swam back out, and we left. Um, Wait, that didn't happen to be on Easter one year, did it? Like after the festivities were over. Somebody was walking in there on Easter? Yes, but it was later in the day and I was sitting outside. My my parents were there and I was sitting outside like by the pool bar, just like hanging out with my parents. And all of a sudden, I swear, a kid came screaming out from underneath the waterfall going, like, you know, little kids would freaking out about something going on in there. And then I won't name the guest, but he came out and he's like pulling his pants on and this other girl came out and then they went into the bathhouse. I was like, "Uh uh-oh. My God. That sounds awful, like, an awful lot like what I experienced. <laughs> Maybe. That's so funny. Which party did you sneak into? Or were there lots of them? Yeah, there were lots of them. I've told the story before, but you guys, the fans haven't heard it. But the, so the door was was locked um, between my mom's house and uh, my dad's house. And we would just hop over it. It was pretty easy just to hop over the, the gate. And then we'd, uh, we, we couldn't be seen at the party because the security guards knew weren't supposed to be there so we would like patrol the woods and the tennis courts and uh just spy on on the guests and see what was going on and you know we couldn't be noticed so we did our best to be stealthy like we imagined ourselves as you know psyops or (laughs) um, cia agents or something well that sounds so fun like i was fun i want to do that We even like doing it like after we would go upstairs, we would like peek over the balcony at people and like throw stuff or like yell their name. And there was something so fun about that. Like more party. I totally agree. It was more fun. Yeah. (laughs) There was a good one where do you remember the Hugh Hefner cutout? Yeah, the cardboard cutout. Cardboard cutout. And my brother would uh he'd be in the window and he'd like hold Oh my god, that's out the window. That's amazing. People be like, hey, half. Okay, so your parents have split and you guys are next door. Then um, the first real girlfriends that I know of that your dad had was Brandy, Sandy, and Mandy. When this happened, do you remember having thoughts on this? Holy shit. Yeah. (laughs) Um, There was like, oh, you know, all my love to Brandy, Sandy, and Mandy, but it's just a good story. Like people would say like, Oh, Brandy, Candy, Sandy, Mandy, Landy, Bandy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You know, it was just like he had, I mean, that's just a funny, the funny four names all together. Brandy, Sandy, Candy, and Sandy. There were four of them, right? Brandy, Sandy, Mandy. And yeah. was there a Candy? I don't think there was a Candy. No, I think there was a Jessica. It was three. It was three. Yeah. So people considered them dumb lawns i don't think that's fair but that was just the narrative that i was told back then yeah what did you think when all of a sudden it was like seven girlfriends it just sucked because that was my dad and like two years or three years before that he was not full-time dad but he was present mm-hmm. and then you know you guys know he called it what his like picasso had different eras and he went into his blonde era and it's like well his blonde era wasn't like his family era yeah. So his, you know, so it's like you have seven girlfriends. That's a lot of things to do that is not related to your kids. Yeah, absolutely. And I was wondering too, seeing all these like 
women with a very similar look go in and out like a revolving door. Did that shape your taste in women? Like, did you look at that and you're like, eh, I'm not really into like the platinum blonde bimbo look. Yeah. Yeah. Just that. Yeah. And I just want to say, reiterate again, it's like, I'm in a beautiful home. He's given me a beautiful life. Like, thank you, dad. You know? Yeah. It's, yeah but it's complicated. People yeah. aren't perfect. Mm-hmm. Did you ever get to know any of the girlfriends? Were there any that you were like, oh, I really like this one. I hope he keeps her or that one sucks. I can't wait till she's gone or any of those kind of feelings. Totally. Um, <laughs> Kendra. I loved Kendra so much because we were smoking weed, getting into trouble. And she's like, I've been there. And so she was she was fun. We were we weren't in the like you guys were on Survivor Island or something. You guys were in the in the thick of it as an outsider everybody was pretty we were just enjoying their company yeah but they were all in that i loved all those latinos really sweet so from a very early age it kind of seemed like there was an expectation on you to follow in your dad's footsteps and you said before that you did want to be ceo of playboy so did that feel pretty natural or did it ever feel like a lot of pressure like um like i had to succeed in school and if i didn't succeed in school then i wouldn't be the ceo of playboy and I wasn't succeeding in school. I was I was uh, undiagnosed with ADD. Mm-hmm. Um, so it felt like, you know, I was like a failure in some ways and that I wasn't doing it right. It never felt like even though like I was a kid, so I didn't know what I really wanted, but I never really wanted to be the CEO of Playboy. Like it just wasn't. I think it was something that was I was kind of told that I wanted to be. And also, I really looked up to my dad at the time, but like it did feel like when I wanted to be a daredevil or I wanted to be a stuntman, it excites me. Oh, yeah. I get to do stunts. Like, that's cool. When I said I wanted to be the CEO of Playboy, it was more like, I'm going to be the CEO of Playboy in a kind of snobby, snobby, like show offy way. So, this wasn't, it didn't turn out to be the person that I wanted to be, really. Yeah. And did you ever feel, because sometimes I would notice there would be comments made, like one year there was a Playmate of the Year ceremony, and in her speech, she was making a joke, and she said, okay, Marston and Cooper, maybe when you're 18, when you were like 12 or something, or there's pictures of like you on a red carpet, and those Playboy bunnies like kissing both your cheeks, like did, did that just feel like funny and awesome, or did it ever feel like yucky at any point, or like too much? This is such a good question, and I think I noticed this but the di- like a difference between women and men is like if those were girls, it would be totally creepy and mm-hmm. they wouldn't be cool with it. As boys, it was like fucking awesome. Like yeah. we like I dreamed of being with a playmate, you know, from as young as I can remember. So it was always really cool. Yeah. yeah. I kind of want to go back to the seven girlfriends because you said it was like Survivor for us. So you guys were aware of the drama then. No, we weren't. But now we are. But like what I'm saying is like we were kind of outsiders just like enjoying like Disneyland and enjoying the things that we got to do all all of us together. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That reminds me, like we did do some group activities too, where we all went to Disneyland at one point and we went and saw Christmas lights and things like that. Was that fun for you guys? Some of my best memories, those Christmas lights, I forgot until you mentioned it. And we drove in the limo and we got, God, that's such a special memory for me. Yeah, we did the hot chocolate and yeah, yeah, it was so fun. And the gingerbread cookies, right? Uh Yeah. Oh, that, that makes me emotional. Yeah. I loved those memories so much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because they're fond memories for me too. Yeah. Same, same. We didn't really get a chance to bond with you guys too much. And the times that you did come over for family night, we tried to like stay out of the way and let that be family night for you guys. So when we did get to do these special events, I thought I I think of them very fondly and I wish that we were able to do more of those things. Me too, because it felt like a family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? It really did. Um, a couple of the girls had kids around your same age. Did you bond with them? And, and what was that kind of like? I didn't know them that well. I remember Tina Jordan, was it? Tina Jordan's daughter was really sweet. She was just a nice little girl. I didn't know anybody else really. Oh, that's not true. No, Renee. Lewis. Renee. Oh, Lou. Oh my God. Yeah. Lewis. Caitlin. Child. Caitlin. I had a huge crush on Caitlin. Uh-huh. That was a Hollywood romance. <laughs> um, that was unre- uh, that was uh, a tragedy in the end. I just never got the girl. And Lewis was like my best friend. Yeah. We played so- a lot of video games together. 
<laughs> so a non-serious topic. We love to talk about food on this podcast. Did you have a chef over at your mom's house as well? No. No. And did you have favorite things you ordered when you came over to the mansion? Yes. Uh, chili cheese fries. Yum. Dodger dogs. Yeah. We had Dodger dogs at the house? Yeah. That's insanity. How did I not know that? <laughs> I didn't oh know either. God. For those Wait, of you who like, don't know, the LA Dodgers, they're famous for serving like a long hot dog. It's called a Dodger <laughs> dog. <laughs> did you guys have a favorite? More yes. than I can count. I mean, everything from like the HMH chocolate cake to even like really like boring sounding healthy stuff. It was really easy to eat healthy at the mansion because the chefs would just do such an amazing job. Like you could have a certain salad you wanted and it would be the best thing you ever ate or like a salmon dish. Like who the fuck wants salmon? But it would be amazing when it came from the mansion chefs. They did such a good Caesar salad. And then we had them do a replica of the Olive Garden salad. And we loved that. I had this bean dip and they'd make homemade tortilla chips and they put like cheese over the top and it was so delicious. Yeah. Are you talking about the one with like the special chips too? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was a fucking good dish. Yeah. And then I had chicken tacos that Ramon made so good. <sighs> I need some of that chip and dip right now. I wish. I <laughs> wish. So... You guys, so this interview actually went on for at least an hour and a half. So we're going to come back next week with a part two. But I wanted to take a few minutes now for you and I to kind of recap and give thoughts on what we talked about in this interview, because I feel like I have so much to say and so much I thought of after we hung up the phone or the Zoom or however. I know. It was hard. It was hard to take it all in because like I said at the beginning, like we're just kind of getting to know him again, mm -hmm. but really getting to know him as an adult and as a real person this time, not as just like some little kid that was hanging yeah. out at the mansion. And I just felt like I, I, for some reason, I feel like it was something we all needed and I didn't know we needed it. Absolutely. I felt that way too. And one thing I remembered afterwards that I wish I would have thought of when we were having this conversation is there was that moment where Marston asked me about how I had always hoped when I was at the mansion to see like a deeper side of Hef that I never really got to see. And I wish I would have remembered this in the interview, but I remember thinking, and this was a conclusion I realized even after I wrote my book, like years after that I feel like Hef was only ever truly himself in front of Mary. Mm. Like I would see these little glimpses when it was like him and Mary in the office where he really felt like a quote unquote normal person and had his guard down and wasn't in the role of Hef. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I feel like with almost everyone else in his life, even his brother Keith, there was a little bit of formality and he was still very much in the role of Hef. Like, obviously, when he was interacting with his brother, I could tell that there was a lot of deep feelings and obviously shared memories from yeah. their childhood. And they had a kind of shorthand they could speak in. But I still felt like he was very much in the mode of being, quote unquote, Hef, the character. You know what I mean? And there was that distance a little bit. Well, and because we only saw Keith and, and Hef together, like, at buffet dinners or for mm -hmm. manly night or have or Keith would come over to play tennis or whatever. We never saw them like just shooting the shit really on their own. But I don't know if they ever were on their own. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like lives. I don't even yeah. I don't even know if that ever existed. And even if they did have like a short meeting with themselves, mm -hmm. it was something very in order to do that, it would be something very serious that they were having a meeting about. Yeah. And even when we would travel sometimes with Hef's brother you know, they were the only two of their generation on that trip, other than maybe if Mary came along with us. And sometimes they would be like on one section of the plane playing backgammon. But it still never felt like guard was let down. Really. Yeah. What about the times like we were like, say, in the bedroom? And I don't mean in a sexual way, uh -huh. but like just hanging out and in pajamas and like watching a movie or ordering food or something like I feel like sometimes he was just silly and giddy and like relaxed and yeah I feel like that was the closest thing to what I ever saw on like a one-on-one -on -one basis was just like watching a movie in bed at night but there's still that feeling because the power imbalance was so big yeah. and I think when I said like I was always hoping to see another side of him I was always hoping that there would be one day a day when he would trust me mm -hmm. and that power imbalance would kind of melt a little bit yeah and that just never happened right 
So it's interesting. It's an interesting dynamic. It is interesting. And I also thought something interesting that uh, Marston said, and we agreed with him at the time, but after this, I've been thinking about it more. He was saying, you guys will know this, that you can't just ask Hef to go to the movies or go out to dinner. And he'll just be like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't do that. But I feel like he even though I think he had different reasons for doing it, that he did do that with us is something he didn't do with other people, though, or even his own kids. Yeah. And I wonder if part of that was also the image, like he feels okay going out surrounded with a bunch of women. I think I 100% think so. But I wasn't thinking it at the time. I was just thinking, well, there was something in it for him when we did it because there was the opportunity of press or a Mm -hmm. picture or being seen out. And I do believe that's true, too, which is one of the reasons he did it. But I also think it's that, that it was his image. And if he's surrounded by, you know, seven women or whatever, and he's at the movies, that's still cool because holy shit, Hef's here with all his girls. But if he were just there with his son, that doesn't look so cool, maybe, to in his mind. Yeah, or like he's surrounded by his image still. Like he's still, quote unquote, Hef the character if he's surrounded by all these blondes. Whereas if he's going out for like a one-on-one movie with one of his kids, that's an opportunity to be a little more vulnerable. And I don't think he was comfortable being vulnerable. I don't think so either. Yeah. And I and it's not even just his kids. Like I don't think he would ever have like, gone out to dinner or gone to the movies with just Keith or yeah. one of his good friends or even Mary or yeah, anything or even like Mary, that. Who I feel like he was himself around. Yeah, I don't think he would ever do that. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons too he was also a homebody is his home was set up so that he was the center of the universe and he could always feel like secure in that place and not have to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I think that was very important to him. Mm-hmm. And we talk about that in the interview, like, why did he have to have so much control? And why did he have to be, you know, lamb chops at, mm-hmm. you know, at a restaurant or like curfews and all that kind of stuff. But I think it all boils down to that, like keeping control. Yeah, for sure. Also, I wanted to make note that I couldn't find any photos of us with Marston in my scrapbooks. Oh, Okay, so I went home, too, and I was looking for that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff, and there's very few. Yeah, I think he must have been more camera shy than I realized, because there would even be, like, I'd find the photos of us from when we were doing, like, Christmas cookie nights, and you would see the other kids that were there. You would see a lot of photos of Cooper, but not Marston, but I knew he was there. Or um, I could only find, like, one picture of us, like, from Disneyland or, like, a Christmas group photo. Yeah, I also had another thought on that, though. I also think that maybe we weren't given the photos that the kids were in or very few. That could be because I know that they would make copies of all those photos and they would give us the ones that like we were in. Yeah. And not like other pictures. Yeah. But I mean, I feel like even in Disneyland, like there's only like one group picture and then they're not in the rest of all of our Disneyland photos. And I'm like, that's so weird. Why wouldn't they be in these photos? But I think that maybe they did kid photos Mm -hmm. and then they did our photos. And then kind of kept them separate. Like, there's no reason for these girlfriends to have pictures of the kids kind of thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Also, um, one thing that was interesting for me to hear was how hurtful it felt to have room three taken away. Because I was there when that happened. And I remember feeling like, first of all, room three was the first place I ever spent a night at the mansion because it had those extra beds. So if anybody was new, that's where they would stay. And I remember feeling like it was weird because that was kind of known as the boys' room and there were still toys in there. I never saw them in there while any other girls were there. So it's not like anything inappropriate was happening, but it still felt odd to me like I don't know if this is a space that should be overlapping and then almost immediately one of the other girlfriends moved out of room five I asked if I could have that room so I got that room and then the other person who had been staying in room three asked to have it all to herself and I remember at the time thinking you know just me being me being judgy over in a corner thinking that was kind of a ballsy ask and I was surprised that she was given that room and then later on during one of our nights out or something, I remember her going up to Hef and whining and being like, Marston and Cooper are being rude to me because I have their room now. And I remember thinking, shut the fuck up. Like, who does that? Like, who, like, tries to, like, bring, like, she was whining to him like she wanted to have to, like, do something about it. And I just, just remember thinking that was so gross and feeling like, well, I don't blame them. And just the whole thing just felt kind of wrong. But then as the years went by, I would see Marston and Cooper from a distance and think, well, they seem really happy and well-adjusted. Maybe I was just overreacting or being too judgy, but maybe not. Right. 
I, you know, when I was at the mansion, I thought I, I had heard that it had been their bedroom mm-hmm. before. And there were some signs of it still. Like there were some towels that were like cartoon themed. Yeah. <laughs> like there's some things in there that, that made it true that it was their room, but nothing like overly, mm-hmm. like there wasn't toys or anything yeah. like that still in there. Um, but it had occurred to me that that might be tough for them, that they yeah. might be like, wait, that's my room. Cause I feel like I would definitely feel that way. And I would be devastated if somebody took over my room as a kid. I would feel that way. And I'm impressed by how mature Marston and Cooper were, because if I were in their shoes, I would feel that way. But I would also like hate all the girlfriends. Me too. <laughs> Maybe I'm just petty like that. But Me too. And I love when he brought it up and you like immediately jumped to my defense. You're like, oh, but she didn't do that. That was yeah. somebody. <laughs> and he's like, no, I'm not blaming. But I just thought it was funny because well he's like wait that wasn't her she didn't steal your room yeah for sure it was already stolen (laughs) yeah my other thought from that interview is I feel like I can really relate to Marston feeling like he was disliked by the staff because Marston was always very like quiet and kind of came off serious and I'm like that too and I feel like when you're like that a lot of times people jump to the conclusion that you're an asshole or you're mean especially if you're surrounded by people who are more outgoing and charismatic And I could relate to that. And especially him saying, you know, I was always polite. I was always taught to say please and thank you. Because I feel like that too. Like I was in customer service working at restaurants and retail for, I had a ton of those jobs and worked like that for years before I moved into the mansion. So I would have never been rude to a butler, but then things would happen like that bartender writing a manuscript that I talked about in the interview where he's talking about me and he's not saying I'm a bitch because of any interaction he had with me. He was just like observing me from a distance and like writing all this shit. And I wasn't the only one he talked shit about. Like he also talked shit about like Kimberly and said he didn't like her. And it was just super judgy. But I can relate to Marston's feelings of like not being liked by people for no reason. Honestly, that was an absolute shock to me. me that was too. like a revelation that I had no clue about. Yeah, because I thought for sure when I asked that question, he was going to be like, oh, they're just like family. And to be fair, he did say there are a lot of people he's really close with and a lot of people who were great to him. And when he was a small child, they were really great to him. But I was shocked to hear that they were rude. And this was later when he's talking about this. This was after we left. Uh-huh. Uh, sounds like more like teenage years when he, I think, did live in room three for a while, like after we were gone and the Shannon twins were gone. Mm-hmm. So crazy. It makes me wonder, like, what else was going on at the mansion at that time, too, that made people change their mind? Or is it just all him? I don't think so. I think there was other things going on. Yeah. Or if it was a big staff turnover. And there were also a couple things he said where he said, oh, so-and-so told me this. And it was something that made him feel bad. Or so-and-so told me that Mary was talking shit about me. But the so-and-so person is somebody who I have experience with. And she's not the most reliable narrator. So I was thinking about this interview. And I'm like, I would hate it if he felt bad about things because someone was giving him a wrong impression. I wanted to say that to him, too. But I'm like, I'm not going to jump in on this because I don't know. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, to be clear, like, I wasn't there. You know, I don't know what was said. I don't know if the butlers were doing shots after he left. But at the same time, I'm like, well, I would hate it if he felt bad if that wasn't the entire truth, you know? Right. So... But I'm really excited for next week because the conversation keeps going and it's just as interesting and we hope you guys love it. Yeah. If you guys would like more content, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash girlsnextlevel and we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye.